picked up Revelation chapter 1, and I'm going to be starting from verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that we, that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Uh, will you keep your Bibles open in front of you? I uh, will be referring back uh, to that passage that would be helpful uh, if you're able to, to look back. Uh, at it. Uh, now we've just celebrated Christmas, haven't we? Um, a time of remembering that Jesus left heaven and humbled himself uh, by taking on flesh and becoming uh, a baby. A time when many people who don't normally go to church uh, flock in uh, through the doors of their local church uh, to get their spiritual fix uh, for another year. Uh, don't get me wrong, it, it is wonderful when they come to us. But it's tragic uh, that so many people uh, across the country think that that's enough. Uh, they think that they can have a relationship with Jesus apart uh, from the church. Uh, they think that they'll be able to, to almost manipulate Jesus and have a relationship with him on their terms. After all, the church is so messy and broken. It's not really necessary, is it? I don't actually need to be a part of a church to be able to know Jesus and be accepted by him, do I? Well, this morning's passage will show us that far from holding us back in our relationship with Jesus, 
the church is actually essential for it. Because that is where Christ is present. He hasn't left his church alone, but is constantly present with it. And as we see this truth, we will get a wonderful picture of who Jesus really is. We're looking this morning at Revelation chapter 1, 9 to 20, as it was just read. And we see that John is writing, and he's writing to the seven churches that are in Asia. Uh, In verse 9, John introduces himself as uh, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Uh, This is John, the apostle writing, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved, uh, who ate with Jesus, uh, who followed him wherever he went, uh, who Jesus entrusted the care of his mother Mary to uh, when he died. The same John who ran to the tomb after the women had found it empty. But John doesn't mention any of that. Instead, he emphasizes his familial relationship to his readers. I, John, your brother, the one who loves you and seeks your good, who is the same as you. I, John, your companion, your fellow partaker, one who is going through the same sufferings as you, who is trying to live for God's kingdom in the same way as you. John emphasizes his similarity with them rather than his apostolic status, and he says that he is brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. The suffering, the great trials that we face, the trials that are to be expected for those who are seeking to follow Jesus. The kingdom, John is their brother and partner in the kingdom, Christ's kingdom, in which, as he said in verse 6, he has made them to be priests. Not brother and companion in Caesar's kingdom, which will end, but in God's, which will last forever. And the patient endurance. He is their brother and partner as together they patiently seek to endure the tribulations that they face. John says that living as priests in the kingdom comes through suffering and through endurance. John is experiencing that. He's on a tiny island called Patmos in which he's probably being held as a prisoner because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus, verse 9. And it seems he's been put there in an attempt to silence him. But John says this is to be expected. And he knows that his readers will be experiencing their own tribulations too. And so he lets them know that he writes to them as their brother and partner in those Maybe you are going through uh, trials and suffering Uh, in health, uh, in a relationship, in work, in grief, in persecution. Well, John writes to you as your brother and partner in those sufferings. Uh, He has something to share with you that he knows will help. Uh, Not that will take them away, but that will enable you uh, to endure. Because then in verse 10, he begins to relay a vision that he sees and hears. It starts as a loud voice uh, like a trumpet. 
Uh, in the Old Testament, trumpets would have been used as a call to action. Uh, but it was also what the people heard as they were called up Mount Sinai uh, to hear God speak to them. John is being called to write what he sees in a book and to send it to the seven churches. Uh, but this will not just be any vision. Uh, for the trumpet tells him that he is to be ready to hear God speaking. Uh, the seven churches that John is to send this to uh, stand for the seven, uh, for, sorry, for the whole complete universal church uh, throughout all of time. Uh, seven signifies completeness. Uh, and so what John writes is for all churches, all ways. Uh, and then we get to the actual vision. Uh, we're going to uh, break it up, thinking about it in three sections. Uh, firstly, we're going to look at Jesus in verses 12 to 16. Uh, then we're going to listen to Jesus in verses 17 to 18. Uh, and finally, we'll bring that together and see that we can live with uh, Jesus. Uh, so uh, let's look at Jesus. Uh, John has heard this voice, and he does what is almost an instinct to anyone. Uh, he turns to see where it is coming from. And upon turning, uh, this is what he sees. First of all, he sees seven golden lampstands. Uh, we're not told anything uh, more about these at the moment. Uh, so we'll leave them there and we'll come back uh, to them a little bit later. Uh, because that's the first thing that John sees. But then there's something in amongst the lampstands uh, that catches his eye. And it's this that gets all the focus and detail. And it's not a something, but a someone. A someone who John goes to great lengths uh, to describe. And now before we get into those descriptions, we must first realize that these are not standalone descriptions. Uh, they mean something. Uh, each one of them is meant to conjure up Old Testament imagery and their symbolism. Uh, like if I was talking to a group of football fans and I described seeing someone in sky blue, uh, then um, they wouldn't just think that he likes the colour, uh, but they would understand uh, that he's probably a Man City fan. Uh, now, we're not as familiar with Old Testament imagery as the original readers might have been, uh, although hopefully you'll recognise some of this from um, earlier in the service. Uh, and so we need to do a bit of work uh, to understand what the symbolism is. Uh, otherwise, it can be easy uh, to miss it. Uh, so for this next bit, uh, we're going to have to work quite hard. But it will be worth it. Uh, so let's run through uh, the, the descriptions. And the first thing we're told is that this figure is like a son of man. This is a description that comes from Daniel 7. Uh, Daniel has a vision, and in his vision we're told there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." Uh, Son of Man is a name that Jesus uses for himself. Uh, and so we can see that the passage in Daniel is talking about Jesus. Uh, and he is the one who God gave dominion and glory and a kingdom to. And so then when we see it here in Revelation, 
Uh, We can realize that this figure that John sees is Jesus, uh, but we're also to remember that this is the one who God gave an everlasting dominion and glory and an indestructible kingdom uh, to in Daniel 7. Uh, This is who John is seeing. Uh, Then John says that he was dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet. Uh, This conjures up imagery of the high priest whose job it was to intercede between God and his people. And then we're told he had a golden sash around his chest, uh, symbolizing uh, that Jesus gives spiritual life and nourishment, uh, a spiritual milk that Peter tells us we need in order to grow up uh, in uh, salvation. Next, John tells us that he had white hair, uh, like white wool, uh, like snow. In other words, pure white, without spot or blemish. As it does today, white hair symbolizes age, and age, uh, wisdom. Uh, Then, the the aged would have been given much more respect and honor than they are today because of their wisdom uh, and life experience. And that's how Jesus is pictured here, as the truly wise one who is to be honored. It's also the imagery used of the Ancient of Days in Daniel 7. And so we see that Christ and God, the Father, can be viewed in the same way, truly wise. We move from his white hair to his fiery eyes, just as in Daniel, just like in Daniel 10 earlier. Imagine the contrast there between the white hair and the fiery eyes. Uh, These stand for uh, a divine power of vision and understanding. Eyes that can penetrate anything. There's nothing they can't see. Uh, Revelation 19 uses the same imagery uh, when describing Jesus coming in judgment. And so this insight that his eyes give uh, leads uh, to judgment. His feet are like bronze glowing in a furnace. Uh, This brings two pictures uh, together. Uh, The figure in Daniel 10 that we read earlier uh, had bronze arms and legs. Uh, But here it's the feet that are bronze, uh, contrasted with the the statue in Daniel 2, uh, which had feet of iron and clay, uh, which caused it uh, to crumble and fall. Uh, Here Jesus has a solid foundation and a pure foundation. The bronze is refined in fire. Uh, He can be lent on, and he will never uh, fall. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Uh, This is an image that's used in Ezekiel 43 to describe God's coming. It says, And I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. Uh, There are no qualms here in likening Jesus uh, to God. Uh, But Ezekiel is describing God coming to fill the temple. And he comes in response to their sin uh, to judge them, uh, but also uh, to forgive. Uh, He said, they defiled my holy name by their detestable practices, so I destroyed them in my anger. Now let them put away from me their prostitution and the funeral offerings for their kings, and I will live among them forever. The sound of his coming was to judge them, but also to forgive and to give them his presence. 
This God with the voice like the sound of many waters is a God who judges and forgives. That's the picture that we're to remember as we're told that Jesus had a voice like the sound of rushing waters. Uh, He's also holding seven stars in his right hand, uh, showing that he has power even over the heavenly realm. And out of his mouth uh, protrudes uh, a double-edged sword. Isaiah 11 describes a rod coming from the mouth of the root of Jesse, a rod that brings judgment. And in Isaiah 49, the servant of the Lord says that God made his mouth uh, like a sharp sword, Uh, Here, the sword is two-edged. It cuts both ways. Uh, And as it's coming out of his mouth, we see it's his words that cut both ways. Uh, If we carried on reading through Revelation, uh, we'd see that he judges both the church and the world. Uh, The final description we get here is that his face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Uh, John had already seen Jesus like this once before uh, when Jesus transfigured before him at the top of a mountain. Uh, John had caught a glimpse then of who Jesus was. And now he sees it again. Uh, Later in Revelation, we're told that the new creation won't need a sun uh, because the glory of God gives its light. And that's what John sees here. The perfect, pure, radiant glory of God shining forth from Jesus. We made it through the descriptions. Don't worry if you didn't, if all of that didn't go in. I told you it would be hard work. But it is quite a picture that we get of Jesus. A complete contrast to the picture that we've had of him throughout December of a helpless baby. Here, we see his glory. We see Jesus as the high priest and the giver of spiritual life and nourishment. We see him as the truly wise judge. Nothing gets past him. He sees everything and knows the state of our hearts. He holds the heavenly realm in his hand, and he will judge both the church and the world. This is who Jesus really is. This picture is so different from that of the baby Jesus. That is who he became for a time. But this is who he is. Let me ask you, do you have an underformed view of Jesus? Do you tend to think of him as a baby or as a carpenter or crucified? There's nothing wrong with those views. We must always remember what he did for us. But this helps us to appreciate them even more. The fact that this Jesus with feet like burnished bronze and a voice like the roar of many waters became a baby. The fact that this Jesus with eyes like a flame of fire and a sharp two-edged sword protruding from his mouth willingly went to the cross. This is who Jesus really is, who he always has been, who he always will be. Marvel at him. 
See who he is. Uh, He sees who you are. Uh, So don't make the mistake of ignoring him. Uh, Look at Jesus. Uh, Secondly, listen uh, to Jesus. Uh, Listen uh, to Jesus. Uh, John responds as you might expect. He falls down as though dead. Remember, this is who John spent three years of his life with at every waking moment. John knew Jesus. He knew him better than anyone. And yet now that he sees him like this, now that he sees who he is, well, he can't even stand before him. He is not worthy to stand before him. He realizes that he is only worthy to be struck down. But, but what happens next is wonderful. Jesus lays his hand on John. His right hand, the one that held the seven stars. And this is not a, a laying on his hands to arrest him like the Pharisees sought to do with Jesus. This is a laying his hand on to comfort. He says, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. What? Why? Surely John and us have every reason to be afraid. We've just seen Jesus as the divine judge, the judge who sees everything, the judge who sees our hearts. Uh, who knows our every thought. There is no pulling the wool over his eyes. Surely fear is the right response. But Jesus says, do not be afraid, because I am the first and the last. I am the one who was there in the beginning, and I am the one who will be there at the end. In other words, I have complete sovereignty over all of human history. From the beginning, right through to the end. There is no point in time or outside of time where I have not been, Jesus says. If we had been reading through Revelation, then this statement would ring a bell. Because back in verse 8, It said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. It's the same thing, Alpha being first, Omega being last. Uh, Jesus has already been described in similar ways uh, to God, and now he himself shows his divinity. That he, along with God the Father, was there at the beginning and will be there at the end. And so John need not fear. But he also doesn't need to fear because Jesus is the living one. And not just alive now, but he was dead, and now he is alive forever. He died once, and now he lives forever. And because of this, he holds the keys to death and Hades. Not only has he broken out of death, but he now holds the keys, and so he can free others from it also. 
I think of a detention camp. Uh, The one who holds the keys has access, but also has control. They are in control of who stays in, of who goes out, and of what happens to those inside. Brothers and sisters, Satan does not hold the keys to death or to hell. Jesus has overcome death, and that means that he now holds those keys. He rules even over death itself. Let that comfort you. It is because Jesus is the first and the last, because he is the living one, and because he holds the keys to death, that John need not fear. The judge is also sovereign. Sovereign over all of human history. He's always been around. And sovereign over death and Hades. And so that means that he can rescue you from the punishment that death should bring. Death should lead us to being eternally separated from God. But Jesus can free us from that punishment. And instead, he can bring us into an eternity of reigning with him. And so this means that whatever our trials now, remember, this kingdom will bring tribulation now. Whatever our trials now, we can know that they will end one day. And that we will get to reign with Christ forever. Death will not be the end. Because Christ is the sovereign judge who has overcome death, we need not fear. If you are a Christian, if you are trusting in Jesus to free you from death, then Jesus places his right hand on you and says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Look at Jesus, but don't just look at him. That will lead to us falling down as though dead. But if you are his, then you can also listen to him. Listen to his words of comfort. His words that will lift you up again. Listen to Jesus. Look at Jesus, listen to Jesus, and finally, live with Jesus. Live with Jesus. You see, we don't just have to wait for the future. John has already said in Revelation that Jesus is coming, coming to judge, but also coming to take his people home. But here we see that Jesus is also present with his church now. It's not just that he's coming, but he's also present. (coughs) So far, we've ignored the lampstands. Let's return to them now. Verse 20 tells us that the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches that John is writing to. And we've already seen that those churches symbolize the whole universal church throughout all of time. And this Jesus who we've seen is standing in the middle of the lampstands of the universal church. 
You see, Christ is tending his church now. His presence with it is constant. He never leaves it. I don't know whether this still happens, but my secondary school had a live-in caretaker. The caretaker and his family lived within the school grounds. This meant that, that he was there constantly attending it. If something needed fixing, uh, he was there. If something needed moving, uh, he was there. If something uh, needed changing, he was there. Uh, he was a constant presence around the school, ensuring that all the practical jobs were done and it could carry on operating. Jesus is with his church always. He never leaves it. And the descriptions of him that we've seen, that we saw earlier, Uh, tell us what he's doing for it. We saw him pictured as a high priest, which tells us he's interceding for us on our behalf. He's nurturing us, giving us that spiritual milk uh, that we require. He's giving wisdom as the one who possesses all wisdom. He's watching over us with his eyes of divine vision and understanding. He gives that solid foundation of purity on which we can build our lives. He's speaking to us, judging us, but also forgiving us so that he may dwell amongst us as his people. And he's doing all of this for and through his church. This is the Jesus whose presence is always with his church. And as well as being amongst the lampstands, Jesus holds seven stars in his hand. These seven stars stand for the seven angels of the churches, we're told in verse 20. This shows us that the church already has a heavenly existence. It's got one foot in the door, as it were. And that heavenly existence is firmly in his hand. We won't get kicked out. Christ will speak some strong words to his church in the letters that follow. But the true church is not to worry. They're not to worry about their heavenly existence because it will get there. Let me ask you, are you aware of Jesus' presence with his church? And I don't just mean do you know he is present, but are you aware of his constant presence? encouraging, interceding, nurturing you through his church. It is because of his presence with us that we need not fear. Because we have the first and the last, the living one, the one who overcame death with us. So we can, we can patiently endure tribulation. There has been much that has happened and has threatened to happen recently that could cause us to fear for the church. There has been legislation that many have wanted to bring in that could outlaw much of what we do as a church. It could cause a huge trial. But we can know that whatever happens, then Jesus is still present with his church. And he will enable us to patiently endure that tribulation as we seek to live as priests in his kingdom. We need not fear. In the letters that follow, Jesus speaks some strong words to his church. But what a grace 
that he does speak them before it's too late. They are words that come out of love and that seek the good of his church. What a blessing it is to be a part of Jesus' church. There are many blessings that we can have as individual Christians. And of course, we know Jesus' help with us on an individual basis as we go about our lives through the week. I'm not denying any of that. But there's also a special outpouring of his presence that comes about through his church. It is through his church that we can really experience Christ's presence living with us in a different way. It is through his church that he speaks to us in a powerful and direct way with such wisdom. It is through his church that he confirms us to be his own. It is through his church that we can have such confidence and assurance knowing that we won't be toppled. It is through his church that Christ nurtures us, growing us up into maturity, into his beautiful bride, ready for our wedding day. It is through his church that we get to see a glimpse of his glory as we seek to love each other as we have been loved. We need the church. Yes, it is broken. Yes, it is messy. Yes, it can cause pain. But it is through the church that Christ is present and blesses us in a special way. Through the church that he tends us. Through the church that he helps us endure sufferings. Through the church that he lives with us. We need his church. Don't miss Christ's presence through the church. It is a wonderful blessing that can be found nowhere else. If you're not a part of this church or any uh, true church, uh, then uh, speak to one of the elders about how you can become a part of Jesus' church and experience these blessings. And if you are a part of this church, but you're conscious that, that you're drifting slightly from it, you can't really say that you are a brother or sister and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and the patient endurance then speak to an elder about how you can stop that drift and partner with the church once more. At the beginning of this year, won't you recommit yourself to Christ's church? Because if you do, then you will experience Christ in such a wonderful way throughout this year as you get to experience his presence with the church. Look at Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Live with Jesus in his church.